Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, thanks for listening uh, again uh, this week. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed our kind of introduction episode uh, that we did um, uh, last time. Um, Robert, Zach, I knew I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, hope you guys did too. Same, yes. Yeah, absolutely. It was, a, it was a blast. And so we're starting kind of our, um, the next couple of episodes here are diving into kind of the proofs of God, um, why we believe in God, uh, sort of the proofs, the justification um, for a creator. And uh, so I think that's going to be a, a good topic, a, a great way to kind of dive in to, to, to the Christian faith. Absolutely. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, so uh, I am Zach again. Uh, one of the key um, proofs of God's existence, if you would, is the uh, the concept of morality. Mm-hmm. And why I say that is because morality is the is the ability to discern between right and wrong actions. And this is, I mean, a lot of times Christians will focus on particular uh, set of rules and and I think before you go that route you have to actually establish you know what morality is it's not necessarily a group of um, laws in itself but rather the ability to discern between right and wrong actions and um, kind of going off that uh, idea oftentimes uh, you think of Morality, you kind of, especially with Christians, we ca- we get stuck on you know trying to prove what was true, and then move into like kind of like the Old Testament or whatever, and say oh, the Ten Commandments and and things like that. And you don't, in in my understanding of it, you don't have to go that route in the beginning. In the beginning, just focus purely on the concept of the fact that you can distinguish between right and wrong conduct. And I think that in itself is like, where did that knowledge, where did that ability to discern that an evil come from? And, you know, there's, I've really, I've, I've thought about it a lot over this course of week, and I've narrowed it down to three, um, I guess, ideas of, of how this comes to be, you know, this, this idea of right and wrong action. The first one, of, of course, is it's a purely... Illusion, like it doesn't really exist. Um, it's just something that we construct as people, you know, Christians. Like, morality, it's just it can't be true because, you know, mm. sort whatever reason, you know, um, or maybe you know you see you see the evil or whatever, and you're like, well, God can't exist or whatever, um, and therefore, you know, it's kind of a, a illusion. And and a lot of times people will, especially like if you start off instead of dealing with it has a con- construct. No, I mean not construct, but as a um, 
as a, a means to determine good and right and wrong. If you try to argue from a list of um, codes, so to speak, it's easily to pick apart that you know that uh, list of rules, so to speak. You know, you might say. Oh well, look at this society. You know they 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 valued you know, human sacrifice. You know they valued mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. all these other like whatever. And and you're like, how can that be consistent? You know, and so therefore they'll say, well, because this one society valued human sacrifice, this other society valued sleeping with animals. You know, etc. And it's like, how how can there then be you know, a morality that actually exists, how, you know, how is there an actual right and wrong conduct? The point of distinction I like to make is with humanity, we have the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. But we also have the ability to ignore that, um, abil the, um, the discernment, if you would. Like, mm -hmm. if you, if you imagine, like, uh, let's see, uh, Germany, for instance. Um, you know, the uh, people in Germany um, justified killing of Jewish people and things like that because they, as a society or as the, the, uh, those in control, those in power, uh, thought it was a good idea to exterminate the Jewish people. Um, now... Are there some people that disagree with that? Sure, but the people in charge, the people in control, said this is what we're going to do, and and it everybody happened. else just like followed orders, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. They they, yeah. they they took the they took the um, rule, so to speak, and just kind of ran with it and said, okay, you know. And I think that's an important distinction is because people can choose to reject um, the morality, the good actions. Um, mm -hmm. and do something evil, you know, we can. We can choose to redefine humanity into um, what we desire, and then anything that doesn't fit that our definition can then be killed or what have you. And a good example of that is, a, is, a, is abortion without, you know, going into that argument necessarily. Um, but, again, I think if you want to argue that, this, this the ability to discern between right and wrong is just an illusion. I feel your yourself it's, it's it's self defeating because in nine times out of ten, when someone argues against the existence of God or what have you, they'll say, "What about the problem of evil?" You know, well, the fact mm -hmm. that you can acknowledge that evil exists is, a, is pointing to the fact that there is something beyond physical that exists that mm -hmm. you're trying to say doesn't exist that makes sense yeah i um i actually had a friend um who well she was a she was a co-worker um and i remember she said one time about this debate she was a she was a very um very staunch atheist and she was not afraid to make it known that, that she was atheist and she would always use the argument of um uh if if you have to have a god or if you have to believe in a god in order to 
be a good person or to have good morals, then what what does that say about you as a person? If if you can't just naturally be good, uh, kind of on your own, you have to rely on a god for your morals. Uh, and she always thought that that was like such such a good argument, um, disproving God. And it was funny because you know I'm a I'm a med tech and. Um, you know, when when we're in the lab and you give a blood sample and you're trying to diagnose a disease, for example, like let's say a CBC, um, if I told you that your platelet count is 47, does that mean anything to you if, if I say that? No. Exactly. And so that's the argument that I kind of used is like, Okay, if I tell you your your platelet count is 47, well, that's very low. And the reason we know that is because there is an established reference range in which to compare that to. And I always thought her argument was so so backward is because, you know, who are we to decide, you know, what is moral, what's good and evil? Like, how are we capable of coming to that conclusion ourselves? We need that reference. We need that absolute measurement of what is good in order for us to know what's good and what's evil. Um, if we're just arbitrarily coming up with what we think is moral, what we think is good and evil, like that's going to be a constantly shifting target. And, you know, that's going to mean that different measures of good and evil are going to be different for different people. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you, ha you have to use, I mean, I think that that proves uh, definitively that there's a God because there's so many cultures out there that I know there's there's a few exceptions, but the vast majority of completely unrelated cultures across the world, you know, uh, most everybody believes you shouldn't murder people. Most everybody believes you shouldn't um, steal from people. You shouldn't torture people. You shouldn't lie. Um, that's that seems to be kind of fundamental. Uh, across mm -hmm. all cultures and so that does point to outside of the human condition there is some absolute reference for good and evil that we just naturally kind of ascribe to and even people who don't believe in god i think they feel kind of kind of in their in their hearts that there there has to be something in in which i'm i'm compared against or comparing to and uh so no i think that's a i think that's a very powerful uh argument for god and and, and you know also i mean going back to kind of like what your friend said you know was talking about you know it's like okay well let's say that you know you okay there is no god okay um then why be a good person? Hmm. What is, you know, Ooh, no, and, that's and I think that's, too. that's the, that's the thing there. What, what happens? You know, okay, let's say there isn't a God. Why be a good person? What's the repercussions of not being a good person? Mm -hmm. you no, know, uh, there, there is no repercussions for not being a good person. There is no repercussions for, 
being a, a, a mass murderer or being a rapist mm-hmm. or being any of those things. There's no justification. And the reality of it is, oh, sure, you know, an atheist doesn't have to believe in God. They can be good. And and it's kind of like Catch-22. Well, atheists don't have to have believe in God for there to, you know, you know to be good people. But it, you kind of have to have God to determine what's good and not good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like you deny the sense of God and try to be a good person. Why? I mean, yeah. the reality of it is, is that this person who's proclaiming to be an atheist is living in God's creation. Mm-hmm. Their morality like that God instilled in them Mm-hmm. Is still there. Oh yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, the an atheist who you know says it's wrong to commit rape. They're right that it's wrong to commit rape, but they don't have a justification for why rape is wrong. I mean, or, I mean, you look at the animal kingdom. I mean, a a lion, a male lion, out in the savanna. You know, this, you know, kills another male and takes over his pride. What does he do? He immediately slaughters the cubs of the previous male's um, offspring mm-hmm. so that the females can come into heat sooner, you know, so that they can then reproduce their own genes and so forth. But it, no human being would say that's a good thing for a human being to do. We would distinguish between the animal and the human we'd say oh, an animal is an animal and it follows certain natural things a human purely self-serving in right. pretty much every way yeah exactly and, and so it's like okay well then then there's evidence right there but let's mm-hmm. even get let's let's get wild and crazy and say that there's a naturalistic explanation i mean reality of it is there is no animal out there exhibits morality hmm. and you look at any animal that's out there that's been here for like like crocodiles and great white sharks that you know if you look at the fossil record been here hundreds of millions of years and humanity has been you know i don't know the exact narrative of how long humanity they claim humanity has been around it's most a hundred thousand years, you know, roughly, give or take, you know, somebody's mm-hmm. interpretation, what have you, of the of the the facts. Definitely, it's not humanity has not been here as long as some of the animals in the fossil uh, record. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. not about time. You know, like something evolved hundreds of millions of years ago, and given enough time, this phenomenon of morality came into being. That's, I mean, you have creatures that have been here millions of years, according to the narrative. And they don't have this morality. You look at uh, other creatures, um, you know, that live in community, you know, like chimpanzees and monkeys and everything like that, and they don't exhibit morality. They have a community. They don't exhibit, you know, right and wrong conduct. You know? So it's not based on how, the length of time that they've existed not based upon community, um, you know, then you think, well, maybe maybe humanity is just this random, you know, thing that just happened to get this 
morality bestowed on them. It still define it still demands how it came to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's not an illusion, because if it is an illusion, society doesn't work that way. It doesn't live that way. It's un- <laughs> yeah. it's unlivable. Um, yeah. So in the, in the in the test for truth, it's unlivable. Um, going off the natural course of things, you, know, you focus on your t- on on time. Things been here for millions of years. They don't have morality. Um, uh, things that uh, have communities don't develop morality. Uh, then you look at you know okay, well let's let's take these animals out of their natural environment um, and put them in in uh, zoos or something like that. And you think, well, they don't have to worry anymore. Maybe morality can develop there. Just going off the natural mm-hmm. old view narrative there. And still, there's no magical morality appearing. I mean, look at every single naturalistic possible explanation of how morality originated in um, the, narr- the scientific narrative and you don't have an answer of how it came to be. Mm. Um, so again, I mean, just focusing on the naturalistic explanations of it. And then the only other option is divine. So someone, some might say, like, you know, give us time, science will figure it out. You know, we might have breakthroughs one day. But I would still file that away in the naturalistic view, I, not necessarily third or fourth view but uh, you know just kind of tell into that second naturalistic view and the problem with that is okay let's say that there is like somehow this society side of humanity somehow develops some morality is that morality then objectively right or Mm. objectively wrong you know those things aren't possible you know when you think about it like that i mean there, there's not really a, a way to you know, put faith in the scientific method, and hopefully one day they'll come up with an answer for mm-hmm. why we have morality. So then the third option is divine, and that morality comes from uh, God or a supernatural being, a supernatural entity. And I feel that best explains reality. It explains mm-hmm. why we should adhere to moral laws because if it is natural, let's say you could reduce it to something natural, it doesn't mean that objectively you have to follow it. It just means, you know, this thing exists and there's no objective actual goodness. You know, is that, that's why the animal kingdom is the way that it is, you know. White sharks, they procreate, and it's not a pleasant experience for the female shark. Um, there's horrific, and but we don't hold those animals to the same standards that we hold humanity. I ask the mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. It's because they are not human. It's because they do not have the ability to discern between good and evil, and we do. Mm-hmm. And so... The only other option is if it's not an illusion, it's not naturalistic in its explanation, mm-hmm. and it's divine. And the, and the answer with that is, if you think about it, divine implies there's good, evil, 
There's right actions. There's wrong actions. Not only that, if there is a God, there is reason to adhere to those morals. There is reason to, you know, possibly why we should adhere to these rules because there might be eternal consequences to those actions. Whereas, you know, if we're just slime plus time and the morality happens to be there, then there's no objective morality. There's no objective good. Excuse me. There's no objective evil. So then killing kids for fun, hey, go for it. Do it. And society says, no, don't do that. And I think an important um, uh, distinction to make, uh, especially um, what a, what a lot of people who don't believe in God, they always criticize. Um, kind of to your point, you know, well, why did God? Um, why did God create evil? Uh, and uh, you know, if if there is a God up there and He's all good and He's all knowing and and He's such a uh, such a good guy, you know, why why did He create evil? And I, I think that's a, f a fallacy that uh, a lot of um, non-believers uh, subscribe to because God never created evil. That was not something that he created. When uh, in the Garden of Eden and the times of Adam and Eve, there was no evil. But God created free will in people. And it was our free will to turn away from God and and his uh, directives and his commandments. And so when we turned away, we actually created evil at, at that point. Um, that was, I think, you know, you could you could argue that that was one of the first, you know, major things that, that we created um, as a as a species. And um so, I, I mean, and correct me, you know, Robert or Zach, if I'm thinking about that wrong, but I, I always think about it as, you know, God never did create evil. Um, it was it was man who created evil when we turned away from God, and that is a result of our free will, is God is never going to force himself upon us. He's never going to force us to follow him or force us to uh, uh, live according to, to his commandments. But doing that brings joy, it brings happiness, it brings resiliency, and not following him leads to the suffering and the sorrow and the despair and all the bad things that happens. Um, and and that's just kind of how I've always looked at it. But uh, yeah, um, you're you're uh, you're, you're spot on, uh, Brian. Uh, this was, I believe, Saint Augustine actually laid out the argument for that. Is you know, if uh, evil uh, is a thing, why would God create evil if He created everything? And he actually made the argument that you know, evil is not a thing in and of itself. It's actually negation of a thing and so good is everything uh, that god actually made uh, uh, evil it's like dark you don't have a concept of dark until you've seen the light creatures without eyes have no concept of light or dark but our eyes have been able to pick up the light now mm -hmm. that we've seen it we now have a concept of what dark is in comparison the gospel of john actually uses light and dark as metaphors for good and evil in the sense that 
by the goodness, you see everything God has made. Mm-hmm. Now that you have a concept of what is and what can be among humans and in the world itself, you see the opposite of that, either in a harmful way, a way that sets things back, a, a way that causes cruelty and harm between people made in God's image. When you see the opposite of the good, that's when you know what evil is. And so God never actually created evil. Evil actually happens when you take the good that God made and you spoil it somehow. Mm-hmm. So not to put either of you on the spot, but uh, I just want to kind of pose a question out there. Um, why do you think then, if if, if I'm kind of playing um, on, on behalf of, of, our, of our listeners out there who, who may not believe or who may be agnostic or, or even atheistic, um, if, if God is, is so good, and there is salvation, and there is um, joy and, and happiness in God. I, I know we have free will, and, and I know that we all kind of exercise our free will, and we have our own thoughts. Why do you think there are people out there who actively turn away from God? Like, I, I, I know as Christians, there's, there's no one... Ever ex- except Jesus, who who followed perfectly in, in God's footsteps and, and who never you know sins or, or commits problem, but there are people who actively choose to not believe in God, or you know they actively reject that as a possibility. Why why, why would you think that that is? But, but I would you know just me personally, I would say it's because they have free agency. They have the ability to decide whether or not they love God or not. Um, it's it's kind of like the analogy, like, you know, it's like I was talking to to my niece one day. It's like, and she posed the the question of, you know, you know, kind of like what you're asking, like, why does God send people to hell or whatever? And it's like, well, have you ever hung out with somebody you really, 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 really don't like? <laughs> Um, do you want to keep hanging out with those people? Do you want to keep hanging out with that person? Answer to that is no. So if, as a free agent, as a human being, if you say, hey, I don't want anything to do with God, think that's going to change, you die. Answer is no, it's not going to change. So it'd actually be wrong to make you be in heaven with him when you don't want to be with him. Oh, that's a good point. He's giving you the free will to say, I don't want God. And he's like, all right, you don't want me? Well, there's consequences to those Mm -hmm. actions. Mm -hmm. And now now you're going to live with those decisions. And And that's your decision. If that's what you want, then here it is. The problem with that is it's eternal. It's not... It's not... Going to stop. It's going to go on and on and on and on, on and on and on and on and on. You know. Yeah. I think, I think that's what a lot of people don't think about with hell. They think it's just, oh, God's just sending people to hell because, you know, He doesn't like them or because they sinned or whatever. And he's like, no, He's sending people to hell because that's what they want. They don't want to be with God. What does the Scripture teach us? It says, "Love the Lord your God. Love." Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
know, and that and that's it. That's that's it. You know, all the law and the prophets hinge on those two principles. If you don't love God, don't love his people, you really think you're gonna be happy in heaven. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. It's it's easy to to think about like here on here on earth, uh kind of as we are now, we have periods of happiness and joy, and we have periods of, of suffering and and loss and here on earth in, in, in our mortal forms where we are now, we still have access to God's creation. We still have access to the things that God has provided. Um, even someone not believing in God can still, you know, live on earth, live in what God has provided. And so because of that, I think everybody can still experience some of the happiness, some of the joys that life has to offer because God is still accessible even in that moment. And I think what people don't realize is hell is a complete and total absence of God. It's not evil, you know, in, in, in the terms that people think it's a you no longer have any access to the joys that that God's creation is providing you. And if you're agnostic or if you're an atheist and you're living on earth, you're still partaking in what God has created. You're when you have a really good day, if you if everything's going right for you, you're still benefiting from God's creation and he's accessible in, in that sense in that sense. But once you die, if if you're not a, a believer, and you know, um we'll we'll talk more in, in coming episodes of about Jesus, about you know, how do you get access to heaven? Well, it's only through Jesus, but kind of in these broader sense that we're talking about here is when when you die and you're not saved, you are going somewhere where there is a total absence of God. So all of the good joys that are here on earth that that you can experience here all all of that ends completely well said absolutely all right hey everybody uh this is robert um if you've been listening this far uh, my buddy zach has been talking about the moral arguments for god the idea that humans have a conscience now i know that that's a lot to absorb so if any of you have to pause re-listen to that first <laughs> half go for it but here <laughs> yeah but a little uh, deep, very deep. But here and now, the rest of this episode, I'm actually going to take us through and carry us from the philosophical side of this argument up into the scientific side of the argument. Now, I can't Ooh. sit here and pretend that I am some kind of a professionally trained scientist, but I do love to read. And so everything I have to say about it comes from my reading from people who are professionals in the field. One thing that some people might not actually realize about the, the scientific field is there is a lot more debate and disagreement than might be presented in the public square. There are people with the same amount of credentials, the same amount of experience, the same amount of confidence when they look at the world around us, and yet they will come to completely different conclusions when they talk about our origins. 
first of all, historical science is very, very unique from empirical science. And now what I mean by that, empirical is the stuff you may have grown up with in high school. You can dissect a frog, you can take a chemical and you can break it down, you can combine chemicals, you can put it in a tube and stare it down and record what you see. Now that's empirical science. That's knock on wood, solid, real earth science. Now historical science is totally different. We look at historical science, we're trying to get to the bottom of things that we cannot put into a test tube and find out what's going on. Now, historians, people who teach history, know this very, very well. They will never be able to put Abraham Lincoln's assassination into a test tube, and yet they're confident of what has been written down based on the testimony of others. Now, this, regarding the origin debate, is there a God? Where did we come from? What is this? This is actually historical science. We have the rocks, we have the dirt, we have the mountains and the rivers and the sky, but there is no test tube with a substance in it that will tell us, oh yeah, this is exactly where we came from. And so the debate between people with equally valid credentials, not equally valid opinions. So going into this, the whole point of the scientific argument for the, the existence of God is the idea that we are fine-tuned. Um, I mentioned, I believe, a book uh, in the last episode when we shared our testimonies. Um, it's a book that I read that really got me thinking and made me become a Christian. It's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek and Norman Geisler. They talk about this stuff about the middle of their book. If anyone wants to go out and get it, I would highly recommend it. But uh, they start with the Big Bang itself, and they move on to the fine-tuning that we see around us. The only real evidence of the Big Bang, of course, is just, the for one, the fact that we're here. The fact that my mouth's, it, mouth is moving, sound is coming out of a throat, and I'm able to speak into a microphone at all. If you break that down to the molecular level, that's a miracle. But um, what scientists have recorded is the echo of a bang. Like, let's say a little kid screams into a cave. So, I'm coming to get you, get you, get you, get you. And so they yeah, picked up this. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, <laughs> uh, the podcast just derailed. But, <laughs> but um, where, I, <laughs> well, where I'm headed with it, they, they uh, actually picked up audio of an echo from deep space. They actually believe that that's an echo of a massive explosion. For a believer, that's not a problem. Let there be light. They're picking that up. What's fantastic to me is uh, Geisler and Turek in their book, they actually mention that three things, and of course it gets a little deeper than I could cover in 30 minutes, but uh, according to thermodynamics, according to them, I'm, according to them, according to thermodynamics, three things that could not have existed at all before the Big Bang event Space, time, and matter. And yet you have a model of the Big Bang in a purely naturalistic sense, in the sense that nothing intelligent was behind it, orchestrated it, it just happened of its own accord. Now, that model requires space, time, and matter to exist because they say that a molecule crushed itself to the extent that it accidentally caused a reaction and exploded into everything we see. Um, if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, you can go to a YouTube video or Google it and see a model of that. But in order for that to have actually occurred, 
space, time, and matter had to have been. There had to have been enough time for it to compress that deeply. There had to have been enough matter for something to compress at all. There had to have been enough space for the compression to happen and the explosion outwards. And yet, according to thermodynamics, none of those things existed before the Big Bang. So nothing was here, and it's hard to get our minds around it. It wasn't just empty space. There was no space at all. Nothing was here. And then in the blink of an eye, a bang loud enough to continue to echo all these thousands of years later happened. And I actually had it described to me one time. Uh, we see an explosion in the movies. There's always the pinpoint where the explosion begins. The explosion spreads outwards. You'll see the action hero running away from the explosion as it grows. We've all seen footage of the nuclear bomb and the mushroom cloud explosion. Apparently, according to the model that physicists have, bang that caused the universe did not spread out. the The bang was fully formed all at once, and everything that cre that that started uh, was in place to begin with, and then it spread out from there. If that if that could make any sense at all to some, yeah, uh, and and it, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of I, I know a lot of scientists, they they debate hotly, you know, a lot of the finer points of like the Big Bang Theory. But uh, I think all scientists agree that the universe is not infinite. The universe had a beginning. Um, I, I think that's where uh, a lot of scientists today stand. And uh, I th if 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 you follow that, um if you follow that logic, like if, if the universe ha has a finite beginning, there has to have been something outside or larger than the universe or outside of reality to to start it, um, to make it happen. And so why why can't that be God? You know, um, uh, I mean, and it, it's funny if, if you follow metaphorically, like if you assign metaphorical um significance to the creation story how closely that follows and tracks with if you take the big bang forming and spread it out over the the so-called you know billions of years um, um how how it kind of jives uh with the creation story on, on that small time frame it really does because um for those out there who may have be hearing this for the first time Basically, what they found out that led them to this whole conclusion about the Big Bang is uh, they, they actually said, imagine the universe, everything inside it, every galaxy, every star, every planet, mm -hmm. is inside of a balloon, and that balloon is slowly getting bigger and bigger. Now, as the balloon gets bigger, the stuff inside, everything I just described, is slowly getting farther and farther away from each other as the space of the universe continues to expand. They actually discovered that not only is it still expanding bigger and bigger, even as I sit here recording this, but as it get as it continues to expand, the expansion is actually getting faster and faster. And so they say this idea of imagine the balloon is a YouTube video. Now you can back that video up. So if it's expanding in real time, you record uh, you record the video and then rewind it. That balloon is going to start to get smaller as you go back in time. And there's absolutely no reason for anyone who studies physics, physics to believe that that was stopped or halted or changed at any time. There's no evidence for it. So as the balloon continues to shrink, you will, at some point in time, 
get to the point where that entire balloon is a tiny, tiny speck, uh, possibly beyond our ability to imagine. And that's where they get that idea is the universe is finite. It did have a, have a beginning, and that beginning has got to have something to do with that expansion model. Mm-hmm. And that, coupled with the echo that they picked up, has kind of allowed scientists to piece together the Big Bang Theory the way we have it. Now, not only that, but if you uh, look at what we have now, not just the historical stuff I've been talking about, but stuff that can be seen. Um, I uh, Again, I'm going off the expertise of another here, but you look at uh, fine-tuning in the universe as we have it, there's actually mul- many, many levels of things scientists are convinced some not all uh, no blanket statements but some <laughs> are convinced that there had to have been something intelligent behind it and the reason they say is because everything seems so very perfect in terms of allowing life to exist here um the just just going off the earth um there was a long list of things if we were any closer to the sun it would burn up. Our atmosphere would be, would be gone. If we were any farther from the Earth, it would freeze up. Mm-hmm. If uh, our gravity was any more intense, we would not survive it. If our gravity was any less intense than we have it right now, we would not survive it. Um, then go into the actual living organism. And I mean everything from lizards and fish to us. It's something called, and if you, anyone wants to search it, it's called anthropic Constants, anthropic constants, and it kind of throws a big, big question mark into the idea of evolution in a naturalistic sense that there was nothing guiding an evolutionary process because if everything truly evolved by chance without any guidance from an outside source, and you have creatures now, this is not... uh, just an argument this is actual science that they've they have observed is the organism itself and i'm talking about the whole thing the whole human the whole lizard every piece of that living organism is a well-oiled organic machine if any part of that creature no matter what the creature is no matter how complex or simple it is even down to a one-celled organism any part of that creature is malfunctioning, any part is missing, any part does not work exactly the way it is meant to at that time, that creature will cease to live without some kind of medical assistance. Because um, you know, the way the, I'll just use very generic examples, the way the stomach is made, it it depends on the way that the intestines are made. It depends on the way the esophagus and even the lungs are made. If we really have slow, gradual changes, for example, if there is something without eyes, and we need eyes to survive, you've got to have eyes or you are not going to find any food. Or the lion is going to come at you and you don't realize he's there to get you. <laughs> exactly. If you walk right into the lion. <laughs> like, hey, lion, how you doing? Yum. <laughs> so we have organisms that need eyes to survive. It not only would the ancestors have not been able to survive long enough to produce offspring that had eyes if they really needed them, but the way the eyes are made, these creatures would not get functioning eyes until way beyond that process began because you need the, the way the eye currently is is exactly the way it needs to be 
piece by piece in the way those pieces relate to each other in order for it to work the way it's meant to work. Now, if something was desperately needing eyes, if it was a matter of life and death, and it was up to random nature, uh, an inanimate object nature, try to come up with eyes to keep this creature alive, why would it opt for a system that would not work until it got to a very, very complex stage? It would try to give that creature vision it would go for a much simpler mechanism to give it eyes. Yet the eyes that we currently have, you can't, you can't uh, construct them down into simpler eyes. If you change any component of a modern eyeball, it's just going to stop working. And so there's no way to turn back that clock the way I described the, the universe and the Big Bang. You can't turn that clock back and have any scenario where the creature actually is able to survive or even to exist the way we understand it, because it's like a machine. If you rip the part out of a of a metallic machine, for those who might have walked through a factory at least once in their lives, if that <laughs> thing goes wrong, all of a sudden that entire machine is probably down. Yeah. And so you have this idea that, well, the way we are made and fine-tuned, you couldn't build us block, block by block, piece by piece in real time, way that the scientific model tends to present it you, you've got to start where we are and move back or else you have nothing workable at all um, one thing that kind of hit me um, a while back I was just thinking and uh, for those out there uh, who might take this as some snarky shot uh, that's not in my habit but I just couldn't help but imagine yeah I mean Brian you're a med tech you're you're in the medical field even though yes. it's the technical side of things so, and you were using, um, you know, blood platelets earlier in your illustration mm -hmm. to talk about morality. Now, let's take the literal blood platelets and talk about design in that sense. Yeah. Okay? Now, if someone comes and they have some kind of deformity in their foot or some kind of malformity in their blood platelets, now, what is a trained compassionate, professional, intellectual doctor committed to being kind to people, committed to healing, what is his knee-jerk reaction when he finds that in a patient? Does he think, oh no, we have got to fix this problem? Or does it ever occur to him that this might be the next step towards the next uh, step in human <laughs> evolution? I mean, we could be heading towards X-Men, but the doctor doesn't present the foot to the museum, he goes and tries to fix the foot the way it was before when his parents had feet. <laughs> Assuming the parents had feet. Assuming the parents yes. had feet. And I mean, that's, that's such a good, such a good point that you're raising because I, I know personally, if I'm sitting here and I'm trying to wrap my brain around, okay, Let's say there's no God, everything in the universe, where we've ended up now, all happened by random chance. Um, the fact that a scientist who, who doesn't believe in God can say out of, out, of a, out of Big Bang, out of nothing, the universe expanded, and that small pinpoint universe contained every single atom, every single electron, proton that ever was, that will ever will be. And it expanded and matter coalesced and formed into the stars, the planets, 
gave rise on Earth to single-celled organisms, which became more complex organisms. And then you look at just, just how intricate and how complex the human body is. Going back to your eye example, how complex just the human eye is by itself, not to mention the rest of the body. Um, to think that everything had to happen in such a perfect sequence for all of this to coalesce into how it is now, the odds are... I mean, you can't calculate the, the, the chances of everything happening so perfectly by random chance that this is where we are now. Like, it, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to, to even think about without having a creator, having a god overseeing it. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just me, but, I mean, it, it, it's, it's so staggering to think about if, if you take God out of the equation, how, how it just seems to fall apart. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, whether it's, whether it's science... The, you know, I, I think, you know, it's like the irreducible complexity of all things, you know, not you know, like Robert said, not just humans. I mean, it's like you, you look at, you know, a blade of grass, you know, you look at there's 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 so much irreducible complexity to everything. You know, it's out there. Mm. I mean, it's like you know, if all things came from this mindless um not happenstance you know <laughs> yeah yeah happenstance i mean how how i mean everything has complexity i mean from heart chambers functioning properly to valves i mean there, there's just no way to get around that there's just no way like what do we have did at one point we have one valve and one heart chamber and then we dev- i mean you know it's like you know the the reality of it is, is like a lot of these things that like you cannot reduce it without destroying the creature, which is what Robert was talking about. You know, you know, and, and if morality is just, you know, just us doing what we feel like doing, you know, just a naturalistic explanation for everything. And it doesn't, there's no reason to be good. There's no reason to be bad. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it, whatever you want. Anyone that tells you otherwise is wrong. And why not kill people? <laughs> why not? You know, th- this this gets very dark very quickly. I mean, <laughs> we talk about uh, like nihilism. I mean, that's really where it goes. Nothing matters. There's no value in anything. And to assume that there's value in something, then you're you're put you're you're placing you know this thing that cannot exist supposedly because it's not value is not a natural thing it's it's something that we you know as humans put value to you know or whatever you know and and for morality to exist it points to the fact there's something beyond the physical because if you cut up somebody mm-hmm. it's wrong but if you still if you cut up somebody you're not going to find morality in them you're not going to find like oh there's this little organ in here that you can take out and all of a sudden all morality is gone that isn't that isn't to say that someone can't harden their heart and do evil things 
but or a society for that matter, like my example with um, Hitler and and German, Nazi Germany, or even abortion to the today, or even you know if you redefine humanity based upon you know what you want, then you justify any kind of evil that doesn't re, you know doesn't um, fit in that criteria. You know, I mean, and and if they don't fit that criteria, then why not enslave them? There is no right and wrong. It's just the majority. What does everybody want to do? Oh, you want to you want to enslave this people group? Hey, guess what? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's do it. But wait, no. Something within us screams, "This is wrong. Don't do it. Do not do this. This is an evil act. Mm-hmm. Should not do these things. Therefore." It goes beyond the physical. It goes beyond the natural. So let me pose this. And uh, again, I'm not trying to put either of you on the spot, but it it really. um, It really makes me think. And this is one thing that um, I know I I hear a lot of people, especially Christians around me thinking about. And I'm I'm probably short comes to a surprise to probably several uh listening you know that that christians can also be scientists um that's probably something that several people probably hasn't haven't contemplated before but one thing that i know a lot of people grapple with is if you if you believe in the creation story and you take the bible at face value how do Christians who are also scientists or who believe in scientists, how do you reconcile that with, um, you know, you, you look at the, the physical world around us and, you know, we were talking about the big bang. We were talking about, um, the expansion of the universe and, and like, you can look at a distant star and, and you can measure, um, you can measure the light and you can measure the the speed of light from a distant star and you can say oh you know that that star is is several million light years away and and that and that photon of light from that star has been traveling for millions of years it seems to go directly against what the what the bible says as far as the creation story and when you're looking at for example fossil records where you're doing carbon dating and you're and you're looking at rock strata and you know those go back several million years whereas you've got these um hardcore you know orthodox christian uh creationists who say you know well at most the world is only four thousand years old if you if you trace back um um, the bible and starting there so um you know if if you're if you're looking at this in in terms of of a listeners on the fence uh, how how do you reconcile uh those i see what you're saying um, I would say a couple of things for anyone out there listening who may be on the fence about the idea of science. And and just like Brian said, I mean, it's a common misconception in the culture that you've got to choose. That's black and white for some present presenters about the whole uh, culture war. You've either got to be a theist or you've got to be scientific, and there's no in-between. And, you know, the idea that there are Christian scientists out there, it, 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 like Brian said, it, it's mind-blowing to many. But 
first of all, in regards to the question of just age of the universe stuff, um, how the the Genesis account, if taken at face value, actually fits with what can be seen and verified scientifically. Uh, first of all, I would say, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, this is like the two or three episodes down the road, but I'll go <laughs> ahead and say it because it's very important. If you're struggling with that, um, you can still come to faith in Jesus of Nazareth while still having questions about origin, as long as it's it's simply understood that God created it however he chose to do it, however long he chose to do it. Um, the details don't have to get in the way of going, as long as you come to the terms of, wow, there's so much complexity in this universe and this world inside of me. That there has got to be a creator God, and you can go straight to Je- to Jesus and then get that settled. And once that's settled, you'll have the peace to come back with all the questions. But uh, the debate is, you know, how are we going to reconcile the story from the evidence? And um, two ways you can take that. If you choose to believe that the evidence points closer to an older world, older rocks, older strata, it is possible to uh, interpret Genesis in certain ways as long as it doesn't get in the way of Jesus himself. That is the central focus for any Christian. But also for those who have a young earth mentality that really do feel that it's important to take Genesis at face value, they choose to accept scripture at face value, they don't have to turn their brains off. One very important thing to remember is every test that gives a scientist the data that they present to the world, the model for the for the age of the world, model for the way the universe is, like Brian said, they measure the age of stars. They have never touched that star, but they test how long the light must have traveled to get to the earth so that it can be observed realized one of these tests does have its flaws and it's very possible that very sincere intelligent scientists are sincerely mistaken and they could catch that mistake in a hundred years i mean think about how many smoking ads were in the 50s and now you wouldn't see a ad commercial to save your life because we have more information (laughs) than we did in the 50s and we don't shame people in the 50s they ran with what information they had now we have more in a hundred more years they will have more they will laugh at some of the things we believed today. Um, the age of rocks is found by a test. I, I do know enough to say this. The carbon dating techniques that are kind of, they are kind of preached like gospel in the culture. Um, they, I mean, for, for all I say, it, it could be, the, the conclusions could be correct, so I can't be too dogmatic. But the way those tests are set up, they actually base the age of those rocks on um, the theoretical belief that the numbers will go all the way down to zero. But if you go all the way down to zero on in, on paper, it looks good. But real rock in your hand, if you take that number down to zero, there's no more rock. And so there had to have been a certain amount of carbon in the rock for it to have actually been a rock in the first place. So it's always possible for those numbers to be much smaller if you take that math and reshuffle it to accommodate certain uh, certain ideas such as that. Um, I've heard a lot of questions about how can you reconcile a literal genesis with the idea that dinosaurs roamed the earth well before us. 
And of course, it sounds ridiculous to some, but for those who take Genesis literally, you could easily say that the dinosaurs roamed the earth as we did. But the way that they test the age of the bones is similar to the way they test the rocks. And so they could be sincerely mistaken. And I would challenge anyone out there who finds it ridiculous uh, or bizarre for me to say this as a grown man as if I've been brainwashed. I mean, the reason anyone finds it ridiculous to think that it's possible to consider dinosaurs and humans may have actually known each other and breathed the same air, it's simply because we all grew up hearing the opposite. Yet not a single one of us have touched the past in the sense that we could actually say for sure we did or did not live with dinosaurs. It's the thing that we've always heard because that is the model. And again, in a hundred years, that could change. And 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 a good point also is like is a lot of people don't look at actual historical uh, literature. You know, Marco Polo, I mean, talks about a creature that's head was twenty paces long and had um, uh, two four legs that were small with three claws, and um, it stood on two legs. Um, and it's described in Marco Polo's work. And that actually fits fits a creature that is in our fossil record. It's like, well, is it possible that maybe our model might have a question mark instead of a period? But we don't like to think about that because that might mean that we're not in charge. You know, and and that's the thing. Uh, another point is. All looking at the same evidence, we're interpreting that evidence differently. Um, and the scientific, some people of the scientific community say, Oh, well, you believe in God? That's stupid, you know. And the reality of it is, you cannot reverse time, you cannot see what actually happened, you cannot go back in time and say, that this definitively happened or this didn't definitively happen. So each theory has value and merit. You can't mm-hmm. just say, oh, well, I'm an atheist, and therefore it can only be a, you know, an atheistic explanation. And, okay, Christians, you've got to prove God exists, whereas I don't have to prove that God exists. Everybody has to prove their case and and it's not just the christians that have to prove one thing or the other you know we all have to prove i mean like the problem of evil everyone wants to talk about well the christians they've got to come up with an answer for that well you know if atheism is true why do you care about evil why do you care about those things you know i mean if if it's an if if it's evil is an absolute thing that actually exists, then the atheist has to have an answer for that evil. <laughs> it's not just up to the Christian, oh, well, yeah. it's, it's your, that's your thing you got to figure out. I don't have to figure that out because I'm an atheist. Well, if it's a true problem, if the problem of evil actually exists, then every worldview has to answer that question. It's not just on the Christians to yeah. answer that question. That's a little bit of a tangent, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, I think there's been some great conversation um, uh, out of this. I know 
I know my head hurts um, already, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> wrapping my brain, uh, my measly mortal uh, uh, brain around um, around this stuff. But uh, yeah, um, this is this has been great, uh, guys. Uh, any final uh, final thoughts or, or final words, and uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll wrap up here. Um, just two quick things to land the plane on my scientific half over here. Um, this I know this falls into the realm of speculation, but it's something that has me thinking, always has since I've been a believer. Any mm-hmm. challenge out there for people? Know that um, you know almost every myth or legend has a root in the truth. We were mm-hmm. talking uh, just moments ago about the possibility. The possibility. I'm not going to preach that as gospel over the air, but the possibility that humans and dinosaurs could have lived together and we don't know it yet. I find it very fascinating that a di- uh, a dragon is the one consistent one of the one consistent creatures that seems to be in the mythology of nearly every culture. Oh, but, yeah. uh, not only that, but uh, when it was first discovered, the the modern dinosaur as we know it in the ground taken to a museum, dinosaur is German for giant lizard, dragon is Latin for giant lizard. And so that's where that whole terminology got wrapped into that, that one big circle. It kind of loops into each other. Just food for thought for anyone out there. Now, and the last thing, uh, I don't have time to cover it, but for anyone interested in digging deeper, just look into the intricacy of DNA. Just marvel at it, because DNA is literally a written language inside our cells. Where the the living creature tells itself how to build. It's a blueprint for your eye color, your size, your shape, uh, the way uh, your your um uh, what am I trying to say? The things that you would be allergic to, the things that you'd be gifted at. Allergies Everything's in there. Allergies and talents. <laughs> Allergies and talents. Uh, someone described it to me once as: Imagine you're on a beach and you see a bunch of rocks laying around at random. It's possible for anyone to say, oh, those rocks look like a face, and they can just be random rocks, and your brain's playing tricks on you. DNA goes way above and beyond it. You see David and Jennifer together forever, scratched into the beach with a heart around it and a Cupid arrow through it. I really doubt that washed up just that way by the water. (laughs) I really do it. That's information in the sand. That's what DNA is. The scientists looked into us and found information written in the sand had to have come from somewhere that's a communication oh i could um oh man tell you you're you're really uh uh um activating my nerd complex here um i i, I could <laughs> what talk we're here to do we're here to activate the nerd release no, I, I the could, nerd uh, <laughs> i i i could talk for for years of, uh about dna um and, and maybe we will uh, uh devote an episode to talking about that um one of the things that i is always fascinated me is um the major histocompatibility complex of, of the protein structure on our cells, which is unique pretty much among everybody. And it comes directly from our DNA and, and how it encodes proteins on the cells and how that's almost as unique as, as a fingerprint that, that identifies us. And uh, I mean, it's 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 so wild um, when you when you get down on, on kind of the the DNA level 
and then going even deeper down to the atomic and subatomic level and even you know when you get into quantum mechanics and and talking about like on the smallest scales we can measure like how matter interacts and how matter works it's absolutely wild and i i think one thing people have to realize is is like if we understood the universe we would we would be god i mean it it's it we're i don't think we're ever i i know we're not we're we're, we're never going to get to a point in which any of us understand fully how the universe works because um you know that only god knows exactly how the entire universe works i mean we're we're not capable of of understanding the complexity there uh we try and we've explained a lot and we've learned a lot but not even not even a fraction of of what is out there to to know and comprehend love it amen oh. All right. All right, guys. Well, um, uh, listeners, um, everybody go go take some aspirins and uh, recollect yourselves. Hopefully we didn't melt anyone's brains out there. But uh, if you've tuned in this far, um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for thanks for sticking with us. Um, a lot of good conversation. Lots of lots of good discussion here. Um, uh, our next episode coming up, I think we're going to dive uh, what more into kind of we talked about you know the moral justification for god we've talked about the physical i guess we're going to kind of move into to kind of why god allows certain things you know why does god allow suffering i guess that's kind of what we're moving into mm-hmm. yep yep all right well um, get your we thinking will, caps uh... on <laughs> don't i mean don't touch that dial we'll be back before you know it <laughs> And uh, with that, uh, we'll pick up next episode. So thank you all.